key thing is, don't be inhaling, don't be ingesting. Stay inside, don't drink or eat anything. These are important questions. I understand that. Highest moment the last eight years. Highest moment the last eight years. Well, I think that the most important, the most compelling was uh, was 9/11 itself. Hello. Welcome. This is Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, broadcasting live on Revolution Radio, the finest listener-sponsored free speech network, which you can support by going to Revolution Radio. My website is truthjihad.com, and I have a substack, kevinbarrett.substack.com, where you can subscribe and get early access to the archives of these shows. All right, tonight's show features a debate on the future of American politics. I think we all agree that the present is in... There isn't even a, a word that covers it. It's just from bad to worse to far beyond that. Is there any hope? Could it be turned around? Well, in the second hour, Alan Sabrosky, the most censored man in America, says probably not. Uh, we'll hear it from the horse's mouth when he comes on. But he's kind of given up on politics at this point. And he thinks even RFK Jr. is not going to to do it. I'm not so sure. I think there's, oh, you just never really know. You know, Allah can pretty much uh, make anything happen he wants to. And stranger things have happened than uh, an RFK Jr. candidacy taking off. In the first hour, Edward Curtin will discuss his new article, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to Heal the Great Divide. It's an inspiring piece that's even more optimistic than my guardedly optimistic article, Can RFK Jr. Defeat the Media? And it's brilliant, as is pretty much everything that Ed Curtin does and pretty much on the money in terms of why RFK Jr.'s candidacy, whether it succeeds or not, is incredibly courageous and inspiring and has that spark that you never know when it could uh, light a fire that could burn down the bad guys. So let's uh, talk about it. Welcome, Ed Curtin. How are you doing? Good, Kevin. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you back. Uh, you're one of my favorite, and you have right at the very top of the list of my go-to internet writers. And your your new piece, I thought, was uh, really uh, well inspiring. I mean, you you've got what I said pretty much the couple of weeks before that RFK Jr.'s candidacy is. A real, a very rare bit of very good news that a brave man has decided to put it on the line for trying to make things better in this country. And uh, I appreciated that you really sounded that note and played it out beautifully. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, I, <clears throat> I think his candidacy is the first sign of hope, uh, within and beyond the electoral system that we have in a long, long time. I think he uh, he has been addressing many of the most important issues of our times uh, for many years, uh, not just uh, what he's had to say on COVID-19 and the vaccines and all of that stuff, but on many other issues. And uh, I, I think... Uh, by his stepping forward, he has introduced a lot of hope into a very dreary, dark time. 
and I have great hope that he is going to find success. I think many people are going to be very surprised by uh, how he garners support over the next six months. They're, go they're going to be quite startled, I believe, contrary to all the pundits who say he has no chance. Well, it's, of course, the media that says he has no chance because we say he has no chance because you will believe what we say. You will stay within the Overton window that we lay out and you don't even think about stepping outside of it. Well, they, they tried that with Donald Trump and it didn't work too well, but maybe they think they've learned their lesson and they can contain RFK Jr. Why do you think that they can't? Well, I think they can't because I think uh, contrary to Donald Trump, uh, he is going to speak eloquently, calmly, uh, I, let me use the word lovingly across the divide. He is not going to stir the pot except to speak truth and to speak it calmly in the way he does speak. Uh, and it, he's, with his very brilliant mind uh, and his command of the facts are rather extraordinary, far different from, from Donald Trump. Uh, and I think they're going to have a lot of trouble with him because the Democrats have no one who can uh, counter his eloquence and his positions. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, he's, he's working within the Democratic Party structure right now, and they will have all the knives out to get him. Uh, the Obama and Clinton people and their neocon friends and associates uh, who run the Democratic Party with uh, Joseph Biden as their uh, puppet master, or not puppet master, as their, their puppet at the moment, they're going to have a hard time containing his message because many people are sick of all the damn lies that they've been telling for all these years. And Bobby Kennedy, he's not been involved in electoral politics uh, his entire life. And he's now stepping, stepping into the fray. And he's spoken, spoken his mind, as he said in his uh, statement in Boston when he opened his campaign. I've been, you know, just saying what I think is true for years. I, I haven't been trying to get elected to any office. I'm, I'm not really a politician in that sense. So Trump wasn't a politician either, but he, he you know, he had a lot of uh, baggage. I, I mean, Bobby Kennedy has said, I have a lot of skeletons in my closet, too. But, you know, if they could all vote, I'd get elected right away. And the, you know, the Democrats and, and the media will, of course, bring them out. But he, he's already brought them out himself. So he has little to hide. And a lot to gain. And he's an eloquent voice and a very courageous guy. So I think uh, they're going to be very, very surprised. And I think he's already surprising them and they're going to go into a panic as the months go by. I think one of the big advantages he has is that he's running against Biden, who is not a very impressive candidate. And you mentioned in your article that there are historical parallels between this upcoming election and the 1968 election. In both cases, yeah. we had a, a very unpopular president who was presiding over a war that was going south. Uh, 
and was indeed in bed with the forces that had uh, killed President John F. Kennedy and the deeply entrenched uh, corruption uh, in in the, at the top of the, the heap. And so when RFK uh, challenged Johnson in 1968, there was a, a, a kind of a breath of fresh air in the country that came out of nowhere, as RFK Jr. said in that incredible speech. That was a really uh, good, inspiring speech. You know, whether you agree with every single bit of it or not, whether you would have said different things or not, you know, I, I, it, that's not exactly my speech, and I didn't uh, cheer for every single word of it, but it was the most inspiring political speech from any mainstream party candidate I can remember seeing. So uh, you've, got, you've got an inspiring Kennedy uh, running against a... Uh, a really deeply repugnant, let's face it, just really unpopular uh, war president. And in that situation, even with the media totally against him, uh, as they were against his father, uh, it doesn't seem impossible that his campaign could suddenly really take on a life of its own and break out of the containment. Yes, I agree. If you go back to 68, you know, many of the issues that were alive then have only been exacerbated over the years. Of course, uh, as everyone who knows a little bit of history knows. But in 1968, when uh, Senator Robert Kennedy entered the race, it, he was considered, you know, an upstart, someone who was stepping on the toes of Senator Eugene McCarthy, who was uh, challenging Lyndon Johnson and was doing very well. And uh, Senator McCarthy uh, was a, a fine candidate, uh, uh, but uh, Bobby Kennedy or Senator Robert Kennedy, I, I should refer to him that way, in 68 felt that he had a much better chance of, uh, of winning the presidency. But he really did not have a lot of backing, uh, except uh, among a lot of poor Americans a lot of people who were deeply anti-war, as they were for Senator McCarthy, uh, uh, a lot of uh, 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 black Americans at, at that time who were fighting for civil rights. And uh, I think today, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., uh, he's running against a very, very weak candidate in uh if he if he becomes a candidate, and I think Biden will, and I think he will in the short term declare his candidacy, but I think the Democratic insiders will find out that Biden is very weak and will lose uh, to to Kennedy, and they will make sure that he doesn't continue. And I think my guess is that they will replace him with someone else at some point because they will start to panic that uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. is is gaining. Uh, and so I, I think that's how it's going to work out. But it's all, you know, it's and, and that would be like 68 I, with Johnson forced out of the race by Kennedy, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, Johnson quit the race two weeks after um, Senator Kennedy entered the race. And then after the California primary, it became quite, it was quite apparent that he was going to win the nomination and he'd be the next president. And that was simply unheard of. It, it could not happen. 
So the CIA made sure that he was shot in the back of the head. They, they didn't waste that, any time getting rid of him, did they? No, they didn't. They didn't. But they had it planned uh, well in advance, um, uh, that, that assassination. They knew he was on the horizon and he was a da very dangerous man. Uh, and so, you know, they, they got they got rid of him and... Uh, we know the results, the results that Nixon, who was, you know, fixing the whole Vietnam story and was lying through his teeth, got elected twice. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. And, and ever since, every American president uh, has been uh, a war maniac, war monger and in the in the uh, pocket of the CIA. Yep. Yeah, I, it's and the CIA seems to have gotten you know even more into the halls of power in terms of picking presidents. They started, I suppose you could say, by killing JFK and yeah. installing Johnson, and uh, and then taking out Robert F. Kennedy Sr. And in more recent decades, it seems that that's only gotten worse. As uh, Bush, George Bush Sr., of course, was not only CIA, but he was almost certainly involved in killing JFK. He's one of the two, or was it three men in America who didn't remember where they had been on November 22nd, 1963. And all three of them, it turns out, had been in Dallas. And that would be uh, Richard Nixon, Howard Hunt, and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 um, uh, who, 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 who am I just talking about here? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. George George Bush Senior. So yeah, Bush Senior uh, was was not only handpicked by CIA, but he had his whole team of CIA bad guy spooks who put him in office through in, in part by orchestrating the October surprise against Carter, and then of course Bill Clinton helped smuggle drugs from Central America through Mena, Arkansas. That's how he got his job, and uh, and then of course uh, Bush Junior is part of that CIA Bush clan. Obama's first job out of graduate school was with the CIA. He went to Pakistan with this, with in some sort of quasi, you know, unofficial CIA position. And he worked for Business International. Yeah, yeah. So so Trump was really the first non CIA president in a couple of decades. I mean, not just non CIA approved, but just not a CIA you know, not from the CIA. All the rest of them were actually part of the CIA. Uh, so, at the, you know, the drug dealing wing, the, the really nasty wing of the CIA that interfaces, by the way, with the Mossad and its organized crime assets. And that's a big part of the story of what killed the Kennedys, in my opinion. We don't have to go there if you don't want to. But anyway, that, that, so, so we've had a CIA series of CIA coups. And whatever you say about Trump, and I've had a lot of terrible things to say about him, he wasn't CIA, nor was he even really CIA approved. And I, I think the Trump people are not barking up entirely the wrong tree in saying that he was taken out in a coup d'etat. Well, you know, a lot of their details are wrong, probably, about how the, how the election was rigged. But it was rigged in various ways. Uh, the media wouldn't even cover the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. So, yeah, let's let's face it that we just had this bizarre Trump presidency, the first time that somebody had not only beat the media, but also beat the CIA after a series of CIA presidents. And now we have <laughs> Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's not only running directly against the CIA, who's made it very plain what he thinks of the CIA, and he knows that the CIA killed his brother, his uncle, and I don't know if he's talked about his cousin, JFK Jr., but he might as well have. 
now that that's raising the ante on uh, Trump's challenge to the CIA and its lapdog media. Yeah, well, I'm not sure Trump raised any ante on the CIA. I think he. No, RFK Jr. is raising the ante. In it. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah, yeah. he is. Yeah, I mean, he is very, very conversant on the history of the CIA, uh, on all of its operations, his shady uh, operations around the world, its its coup d'etats. It's uh, the support of uh, wars everywhere. Of course, the assassinations. Uh, you know, he wrote a book a few years back, back, and I'm one of the only people who ever reviewed it called American Values, what I learned from my family. And uh, all the main, mainstream media totally shunned the book completely, 100 percent, as if the book did not exist. And the book. Uh, was not only a family history of his grandfather, his his grandmother, and so forth, his father, his uncle, uh, President Kennedy, uh, but in particular, there was one long chapter about his father and President Kennedy in which he details and indicts the Central Intelligence Agency like no one had before who had an establishment name. It's an extraordinary chapter in that book. And that's why the mainstream media just made sure that it wasn't reviewed. And it, you know, it, be, it befell someone like me, a minor character, a minor writer, someone who, who has no name to write a review of it. And uh, so th this is what they do. They try to and this is what they will do. It will be a, a very vicious, vicious attack on the man. And but I think he will be able to withstand it because he's a tough guy. He's he's no one's he's no one's fool and he's not a coward. And he has a spiritual dilemma, uh, uh, not dilemma, a spiritual dimension to him that will sustain him. Uh and this is something that may, many people may not know, but it is true. Uh, he, 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 he has, he has a, a strong spiritual core. And maybe you could tell us a little more about that, because the Kennedys are widely viewed as a bit like Joe Biden, as kind of lapsed liberal Catholics who are so liberal that they're hardly Catholic and maybe not very religious. Of course, many of us know the story of how John F. Kennedy had some possibly LSD-induced spiritual experiences during the last year or two of his life and may have had his turn towards peace being a, a kind of a, a spiritual revolution that ended up getting him killed. Yet the most of the Kennedy family are really considered, as again, just you know, like Biden, as, as not Catholics. And interestingly, today... Biden faces a lot of opposition from religious people on the abortion issue. That's a, one of these divisive issues that RFK Jr. wants to overcome. And I, I wonder if you could tell us more about his spiritual and religious background and how he's placed, well-placed or not, of course, to help overcome that kind of divide. Well, I can't tell you any specifics about his pers personal spirituality or his his you know religious convictions in that sense i i can say this 
that uh, President uh, Kennedy and and Robert Kennedy were were uh, inspired by their religious uh, beliefs, not in the conventional sense of conventional Christianity, as many today, uh, you know, let me put it this way, urban Irish Catholic uh, liberals, they're not really religious in any deep sense. They're conventional Christians, which is almost a contradiction of being spiritually inspired uh, in, in the Kierkegaardian sense of, of, of really being committed to belief in God and the spirit. But President Kennedy was whatever, you, you know, you could talk about his LSD experiences, but I don't think that was the essential thing. And RFK was, uh, and uh, Bobby Kennedy is too. I believe he thinks, I know he thinks, I don't believe this, I know he thinks that his, his candidacy is in the hands of God, uh, not that God is going to uh, be intervening or pulling any deus ex machina uh, nonsense. God, God isn't going to rig the elections for him? <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, and I know he doesn't think so. But he thinks that, you know, he has a vocation, uh, a calling, a calling uh, in the spiritual sense to stand up, be courageous as he said many, many, many times, there are many things worse than death. Uh, to live a life where you don't stand up and face the, the killers and face the, the warmongers and, and speak truthfully is a life not worth living. And he does not want to live that kind of life. And so he's willing to risk his life. Uh, of course, they will you know, try to assassinate his character as much as they can. But he knows that if he goes further than that and he becomes a real danger, his actual life is at risk. But he's willing to take that risk. And I think, you know, there have been a lot of people who are willing to do that. It, you know, if you just look at the whole COVID story, the whole COVID story is trying to to get to to get to people's fundamental fear the fear of death. But if you have a religious or a spiritual conviction, you do not fear death. You you believe that God, you're in God's hands. Uh, I know you're, you're Muslim, so it, Allah's hands, but it doesn't matter what religious faith that you adhere to, or even if you kind of are a free-floating person who believes in, in the spirit of God in some kind of general sense. You, you know that this is where, where the truth lies. And you know that, you know, your life is brief, you know, and we, we all get blown out at candles. But uh, you, you, you're going to stand up and you're not going to be afraid if they, they say, oh, you could die from this disease or, or you could be killed or you better shut your mouth or you better be a good boy or a good girl or be a, you know, a, a conventional person. No, he's not like that. He's not like that. And that's why I admire him so. Yeah, I think, I, I, I think agree. Yeah, I, I think his uh, his father and uncle and, and cousin, uh, I think, were, were like that, too. And actually, you know, there's a Quranic verse about jihad, one of these so-called controversial verses. 
that says there are actually a number of them that basically say, you know, a rhetor- ask rhetorically, are those who go out and put their lives on the line and put their resources on the line uh, and risk risk themselves, are they the same as the ones who don't, who lag behind, who don't put themselves on the line, who don't risk their lives? And, and of course, that's in the context of defending the community in this war against the Meccan oligarchs. But that principle, I think, also applies to people in situations like these Kennedys, who, for all of their flaws and faults, at some point end up realizing that they're up against such evil that they have to make that decision of whether to put themselves on the line or not. And those who do are obviously uh, just immeasurably superior to those who don't. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we revere people who, you know, go to war, all the generals and and, and, and all of those people uh, to, to fight and kill. But, uh, you know, there are people who fight for peace who are, who are just as brave. I'm not trying to say that the people who go to war truly believing it are, are, are bad people. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I'm against warfare totally. Uh, but, you know, those who fight for peace uh, nonviolently are, uh, I believe, more more courageous and uh, you know, who, who they, they don't try to kill people, and we have a long line of those. But there are no stat. Well, there are statues to Martin Luther King, uh, because that's a way of dismissing him. But uh, uh, you know, and there are airports made, named for for JFK. And in, I was uh, in Houston a couple of years ago, and coming out of the airport and. The street that runs along the airport is called JFK Boulevard or something like that. And I thought, Jesus, this is crazy. The George uh, Herbert Walker Bush Airport and uh, next to it is uh, the JFK Boulevard or Avenue. Uh, this this is just sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're living in a in a kind of a, a real you know surrealistic uh, nightmare society, <laughs> but it, it is these courageous people like RFK Jr. who give me a, a little bit of hope that you know maybe it it could uh, rise above itself. Uh, it's again, it, 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 the history doesn't really support that, and there, you know there are two analyses here, of course, and you know the, the obvious analysis in my mind, of course, is maybe not yours because we have, we're coming from different worldviews. I'm a bit more of a traditionalist, I think, than you are. And as I see it, this whole uh, post-Christian Western civilization is deeply decadent and and collapsing because of, well, you know, whether it's Spengler's notion of civilizations, they just rise and they fall, they grow, and then they collapse like other natural phenomena. Anthills you know, do that. Uh, anthills go up for 20 years, you know, there's giant anthills in Africa, and then they, they kind of fall apart slowly for 20 years, and then they're gone. Same with human civilizations. And obviously this Western one is, you know, pretty much the anthill is just about got ready to fully crumble. Uh, but, and, and that I think that's because the metaphysical grounding has decayed and the people no longer adhere to, they don't have, they're not infused with the Baraka or spiritual energy that came with the, ultimately with the religious and spiritual tradition that animated that civilization. 
But well, I yeah, I ahead. completely agree with you. We're not we don't disagree on that in, in slightest. I've I've written about that. Um, I think that's fundamentally true. Uh, I, nothing could be truer. I think our our major problem today is a spiritual problem, uh, and uh, that. With, with without a renewal of that uh, spiritual uh, core of human existence, we are doomed. I, I think I think uh, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. knows that, and uh, I you know, but it cuts across so many different issues, so many which we, he's been concerned with for years. Uh, but I agree with your analysis, Kevin. Uh, you know that I was uh, trained in theology, and, and as a sociologist, my, my specialty is the sociology of religion. And so I, I have seen this happening over many, many decades. And most most so-called religious people, conventional people of whatever faith or institution uh, are, are really they're not really spiritual they're basically materialist uh, secularists who just go along to get along and religion is a social kind of thing so I agree you know this is Nietzsche's uh, uh, death of God you know this is what's coming you keep moving in this direction and he didn't like it I mean, m many people think, well, he was just he was endorsing it. No, he was not. He was anguished by it. But he said, this is what's happening. Take a look, folks. This is what's in store. And, and we're there now. But there's counter forces at work. That's where my hope lies. Yeah. Talk a little more about about the counter forces, because, you know, from that strictly Spenglerian perspective, you know, if we're at that point where the anthill is collapsing and it's kind of, you know, can one one ant on the anthill, uh, RFK Jr. or whoever, uh, somehow change that? And so from, a, you know, an almost more deterministic perspective, you know, if, if the civilization is collapsing, it's hard to imagine something just coming out of nowhere that's really going to radically change it or transform it. So, and I, I mean, I, but on the other hand, uh, you know, the, the spirit kind of, you know, blows where it listeth, right? And so we can't really define what could happen, what couldn't happen. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about how, how you can, you know, how you would counter somebody who said, you know, like a lot of my Muslim friends, uh, I, I'm thinking in particular of Arash over in Tehran and many others who would say, you know, it's hopeless. Western civilization is, you know, you, you, you're crazy to think somebody like RFK Jr. can really make a difference. Well, oh, I, I think that that um, you know Bobby Kennedy is is not going to do it all by himself, but I think uh, he's a symbol of what can happen. And I don't hold that dark, gloomy view that uh, everything is hopeless, because once in a while miracles do occur, and as you said, you know the spirit blows where it wills, and. Uh, if 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 you have faith in uh, in God, uh, let me just use a simple word uh, that and 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 you you walk that path, 
that path of, of courage and, and the vocation, the spiritual human vocation, you never know what will happen. Uh, I agree that the uh, you know the one-dimensional world is is collapsing. The multipolar world is coming into being, and that's all to the better, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, a multipolar world, a world in which uh, many countries uh, should be treated as equals, and one should not dominate over the other. I think, in his heart of hearts, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr. believes in that too, and. So I, I'm, I'm not as I'm not as pessimistic. I will say this: I have not voted for a president of the United States since 1972, and that, that because I thought the system was was uh, impossible. It was irredeemable, and that was I voted for the uh, the friend of uh, Robert Kennedy, Senator Robert Kennedy, uh, George McGovern, and after that I I just gave up. Uh, but now I have a renewed sense of hope, not that, that Bobby Kennedy is a savior, but that he is going to speak about things that matter, uh, come what may. How far he gets, I don't know. I think he's going to surprise people, but I think he's going to talk about the fundamental things. And that's why I have, I have a, a glimmer of hope again. I've never given up total hope because... Uh, you know, I, I've, I've learned throughout life that things are never totally hopeless uh, if, if you have faith. Interesting. Yeah, my voting history parallels yours. I was too young to vote in 1972, but I would have voted for McGovern. And in 76, uh, that was, uh, I guess I was too young for, for that election, too. I wasn't very impressed with Carter, who was essentially nope. put in office by the trilateralists to try yes. to roll back democracy. And then right. in 1980, the first election I ever could vote in, I wrote in Bonzo for president because I was so disgusted with the choices, and I haven't voted for a mainstream <laughs> candidate ever since. And then in 2020, I wrote in RFK Jr. So I'm you – know, and I thought that was just a protest vote. You know, It was like for all of the symbolic reasons that you've discussed as well as the real reasons. I mean, he is a very smart and well-intentioned guy. Uh, I thought that was a great protest vote, and I didn't really imagine that he would actually uh, launch a campaign. So, yeah, I, I had the same kind of uh, history there as, as you. And one of the appealing things about him is he's doing kind of what you might call anti-politics if you accept the Schmidt view of politics as the art of scapegoating and divisiveness, of essentially bringing people together in hatred of some outsider or designated scapegoat. That's that's how Schmidt de, uh, defined politics. And whatever else you're doing, if it's not that, it's not politics, he said. And, of course, then Leo Strauss took that and ran with it and created neoconservatism and gave us all of these uh, philosophical psychopaths who've been driving the United States off the cliff for the past couple of decades. Uh, but what Kennedy's doing, it seems to me, is kind of anti-politics. It's the opposite. Rather than dividing people and whipping up hatred of scapegoats and outsiders and so on, he's trying to bring people together. And, you know, instead of this politics of making people get really angry at each other and scapegoat each other, he's trying to find some common ground and, and po while pointing the finger at the real culprits, who are, of course, never the ones who are being scapegoated by the politicians who represent the real culprits. And so that... Uh, the anti-politics of, of trying to find common ground 
in a super polarized society is a really interesting project. And I sort of wonder, you know, how both the media and the public will deal with that. The media may really hate it and they may hate RFK Jr. worse than they hated Trump, who was, you know, everything they supposedly hate, but at least he was doing politics. He was doing, you know, Schmidt's politics in spades, right? Whipping up scapegoating and hatred, bringing people together in anger and hatred at some designated right. enemy. And and if RFK Jr. is kind of doing the opposite of that, I, I wonder if they'll be able to figure out what's going on. Will it make them, you know, so far they they obviously, you know, they, that like that New York Times article about his candidacy the other day was just the most insanely evil propagandistic piece in the Times that I can remember seeing, which is really saying something. So they, they seem to be unhinged by his uh, anti-politics. And, and I wonder if that anti-politics, that... that bringing people together uh, across these divides thing, if that catches on, um, you know, that, that could be really interesting. Well, exactly. Um, that's why I uh, titled my article, uh, uh, I think I said, To Heal the Great Divide. And you you may have noticed that, that Bobby's slogan uh, is Heal the Divide. And so when he declared his candidacy in Boston, they handed out like 500 or so uh, signs with with the slogan, Heal the Divide. And he's, he's going to take the high road. You said that in your article, and I said it also. Uh, Trump took the low road, and uh, he got great, great, great publicity, as you recall, until it until he won the election and and then they were outraged like holy shit what happened uh we gave him all this publicity because he was so outrageous in the things he was saying and then he won and now oh my god what did we do and with uh with bobby kennedy he's not going to be outrageous he's going to try to unite people and i think his appeal it goes beyond uh republicans and democrats it, it extends out beyond the borders of what we consider traditional politics because he's, he's, he's just going to be saying, you know, what he's been saying for a long time. Uh, of course, they'll have the knives out for him. The New York Times, it's not just the, the liberal media, it's the conservative media too. The New York Post has trashed him, you know, Rupert Murdoch. I mean, I could go through a long list of lies they've told about him. I did mention a couple that the New York Post said uh, for years, you know, they, they say he he says that uh, Saran Saran, the assassin of his father, uh, is 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 innocent and he didn't kill his father. Uh, and, and he's just lying. Well, he's not lying. He's telling he's given the facts because Saran did not kill Senator Robert Kennedy. He was killed from behind with three bullets behind his right ear at about a three inch between the nozzle of the gun and, and his head. And Saran's way in front of him. He could not have shot the, the president. Uh, and so he the, the, the about to become president. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would have. He, he would have become president after winning the California primary. Uh, and so, you know, Bobby Kennedy has said he's, he was killed by the CIA, just like my uncle was. He hasn't touched the JFK Jr. issue. 
and I, I, I understand why. And, um, you know, he has enough uh, of his family lined up against him. Well, well, why, that, that raises the question. Why is his family lined up against him? Because he's telling the truth about what happened to his most illustrious family members. You know, this just boggles my mind, Ed. Uh, it, like with the Wellstone family, after Dick Cheney delivered what amounted to, to being a death threat against Wellstone, and less than a week later, Wellstone's plane went down, killing him, his wife, his daughter, and his entire campaign staff. And, uh, you know, the poll, a poll was taken that showed that the majority of Minnesotans uh, said when they were given a choice, who, who killed Senator Wellstone? Uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the, where, why, why, what caused his death? You know, was it the weather? Was it the plane uh, mechanics? Or was it Republicans? The majority shows Republicans. Uh, so, uh, but his family then just wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole, even though, you know, that, that it, it just stunk to high, the whole thing stunk to high heaven. You know, the media concocted a story about bad weather when there was no bad weather. Uh, it was shown, it was very obvious that that plane was destroyed by some kind of energy device uh, delivered from a van parked in the woods, not very far from the airport the plane was heading for. And yeah. so that was all so obvious. And Wellstone's family wouldn't touch it. And likewise, with the Kennedy family, most of them won't go there about what so obviously happened to their family members. Now, what the hell is wrong with them? If somebody messes with my family members, I'm going to go after them. Now, are these people cowards? Are they fools? Are they psychopaths? What's wrong with them? Well, I I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to call them cowards. Um, I would say they're afraid um, uh, on, on, on that matter, right? Uh, which is is one issue. One issue is why don't they go into the assassination stuff? And I would say uh, they're they're afraid. And Bobby Kennedy Jr. is not afraid because he, that's what he's what he's like. Uh, the other issue is why do they support Biden and Obama and so many of them? You know, uh, uh, what's her name? Caroline Kennedy was Obama's ambassador to Japan and now you got so many supporting Biden against their brother. That's that's another issue. It's 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 really hard to fathom that side of it because uh uh you know Biden is a warmonger. Uh that's his entire history. And the US is, you know, waging war uh in Ukraine. They're waging war all around the world. In, in Syria, in Sudan, in, you know, you name it. Everyone knows this. And Biden has been a front man for this his whole, his whole career. So why are the, the extended Kennedy family supporting a warmonger? I have no idea. You know, you'd have to ask them. Uh, I, I have no idea. So why are they so against their brother? Uh, I don't know the answer to that either. I do know that in families, there are a lot of underlying uh, issues that uh, don't surface in the public. And maybe there's some things there, uh, but it's, it seems outrageous to me. Uh, and just to go back quickly off, off of the Kennedys, I remember the day that um, uh, Paul Wellstone uh, died. And, you know, I remember it very, very well. 
the, the four assassinations uh, of, of, of JFK, where I was, RFK, when I heard that, um, well, I was asleep when he got shot. But when I woke up, because uh, uh, I was on the East Coast and it was late at night and, uh, and, and MLK, I remember that vividly. And I remember where I was when Paul Wellstone was, his plane went down and I was coming to a stoplight here in town. And I thought, oh, shit, you know, the CIA just killed him. I mean, they just got him. Uh, he, he was a dangerous guy. He was he was someone I respected a lot. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's hard to explain why the extended family members of of. But but he's he's not going to criticize them. Again, as he said in his announcement, I love them, and uh, that's that's I'm sure that is totally sincere. He does, but I'm sure he's pained by it. But he's going to take the high road, and the high road is not Trump's road, and the high road is where Americans want want a leader to go, to unite them across the divides. And uh, I, he, I think he's, he, it's going to be really interesting. I, I have a lot of mm-hmm. optimism about it. Yeah, and and again, you know, of course, we're going to hear from Alan Sabrowski in the second hour, and I don't think he's anywhere near that optimistic. But I, I sense that you know whether or not Americans are inherently, you know, good and will prefer the guy taking the high road uh, in all cases. I do think that right now people are getting sick of this divisiveness. It's gotten so extreme that it's become really kind of distressing and disgusting and even kind of boring. You know, like there are... Oh, yeah, that's a good point. One of the reasons fads, you know, fads come and go is because something seems sort of fresh and new and it catches you you and you can't resist it for a while. Then then suddenly, you know, that hula hoop thing, you know, just doing that hula hoop thing over and over and over starts getting a little bit boring. You move on to the next fad or, you know, people go through video games and, and, uh, you know, genres of art and literature and all these things have these fads that come and go and they seem fresh for a while. And then, oh, that's old hat. And right now this divisiveness, extreme divisiveness, you know, for culture wars issues and all these things that RFK Jr. is trying to transcend. It's, I think it's, it's gotten to that point where people are really getting tired of it, getting bored with it. And that actually sets it up in such, you know, it's in a, it's a position where suddenly you could get a whole lot of people, you know, glomming on to this. Let's get past. Let's get over this thing. We're tired of this politics divisiveness. And here's here's this, uh, you know, glamorous Kennedy guy, you know, running. And even people who might not agree with him or would be inclined not to people who got their vaccines and never read his book and probably never read any books and so on. You know, all, all sorts of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be following. You know, every stage of the Kennedy saga like you and I do those folks might sort of, you know, see the appeal of it and, and move towards it. So I, yeah. I don't think it's, it's impossible. It just, it feels to me like I just don't see how this ultra divisiveness thing can really continue in the direction it's going that much longer. The pendulum needs to swing back and he's in a position to ride it back. Yeah, uh, uh, for sure. I mean, I, I said in that uh, piece that I wrote, the American people are severely depressed. They're drugged up. They're depressed. Uh, they they they're tired. They're disgusted. Uh, 
And, you know, that that goes back to his work um, on health issues, not just on vaccines and the COVID stuff, but his whole uh, uh, environmental work. You know, the rivers are polluted, the lakes are polluted by the damn chemical companies, by the big power companies. Uh, but people's bodies are polluted. And uh, the the establishment, the pharmaceutical companies, the media and the government had made sure that, you know, two thirds of the American population are on antidepressant drugs for reasons that are ridiculous. Um, but to convince everyone. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say two thirds of the American population are on antidepressants? Uh, well, on some kind of pharmaceutical drug. Let me correct it. Um, uh you, you know, but but I, I don't know what the exact statistics are. It but can't, I be, know it can't that be that bad. <laughs> it's very, very, very bad, Kevin. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'll look it up when we get off this interview. But the number of people taking antidepressant drugs is off the charts. And why? The, the drugs don't help them. But they were convinced because decades ago, they were convinced that they were not free. There was no free will. They had no spiritual core. And that everything was materialistic and material, including the, their minds and their, their, their bodies. And that so if you uh, felt de- depressed, it was some kind of chemical uh, reason, which is a complete lie. And it's been proven to be a lie. And yet they kept taking the drugs and taking the drugs. And, you know, people turn into machines and they lose their souls. Uh, But I think we've come to a point where people are starting to wake up. They're starting to see the lies about the whole COVID propaganda crap. Uh, They're starting to realize that, wait, we've been taken for a ride here by the pharmaceutical companies, by the chemical companies, uh, uh, by the warmongers. Something is really wrong here, really deeply, deeply wrong. And we're sick of, of all the lies. Uh, and, and that's why, I, you know, I think Bobby Kennedy, he's been doing this stuff at different levels down through the years. And it's all twisted and tied together. Pharmaceutical drugs, uh, the, the, the destruction of the, the rivers, the lakes, the environment with chemicals, Health issues. Peace, peace is not just the absence of war, is it? I mean, it's also uh, the, the enrichment of the culture of the society through through good food, through through health care, through art, through joy and everything else that goes to have a peaceful world. And I think he's been talking about this. That's why I think he's very unusual. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a, a great moment, uh, and you know maybe we will look back uh, in the future and say, hey, uh, you know we were a bit ahead of our time in catching on to this. I, I bet my write-in vote for him in 2020 will. You were way ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you mentioned in your in your essay uh, that he was deeply influenced by the plague by Albert Camus, yeah. and it's interesting that that you know novel uses the plague as a sort of metaphor for uh you know World War II craziness and it seems that it prefigured the covid craziness in a certain way 
Uh, so maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Sure. In fact, many many commentators have used used Albert Camus, who's one of my favorites. I've written a lot about him. Uh, they've used that book, The Plague, to to support to support the whole COVID narrative. Uh, but actually, uh, uh, in the in the plague, uh, I wrote an article called "The Plague Is Us." You capital U S. Uh, a play on words, meaning not just the, the society, because the plague runs through every institution of this society. We've met the but plague, the, and he is us, <laughs> Walt yeah, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good one. Uh, but the plague is in people too, and uh, it, you know, it's it, the the plague is this 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 depression. It's the mind control. It's all of the lies, and. What does Dr. Rue and the others in, in the plague do? They say, you know, we have to keep fighting. We, uh, yeah, it seems hopeless. It seems hopeless. And the plague will return, but we must fight against it now. We must fight against it now. And uh, that's what uh, Bobby Kennedy's father was trying to tell his son. This book is so profoundly important because Hey, they might kill me, which they did, but we have to fight. That, what What is the point of being alive if you don't fight against evil? There is no point to it. What, to just like breeze along with the breeze and act as if it, it's not happening? It's that's, been, that's, yeah. that's it's been, not a, been a long time since I read The Plague. As I recall, the... You know, it it was kind of a metaphor for for the totalitarianism uh, you know, pre World War II, and the people, you know, most people were just kind of going along with the majority and actually sort of facilitating the plague that was you know that, that was <laughs> plaguing everybody, and and the uh, the hero and, and a handful of people who were standing up against it were were like dissidents. They were the the minority. They were like the COVID skeptics. And so yeah, you you said that the the mainstream yeah. told us that the plague was about COVID and the good guys are the people who are trying to stop COVID by forcing everybody to get vaccinated. But that's, of course, the exact opposite of the real scenario of the novel. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's 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 true. I've read it so many times. I, I know Camus backwards and forwards. Uh, yeah. uh, interesting. I went through a Camus phase myself. I, uh, I've since, you know, since then, of course, I've gone through different uh, worldview orientations, but that uh, sure. The Stranger, as I recall, that's uh, it, it, as a North North African Jew who has his uh, hero just uh, shoot uh, an Arab, just a, a anonymous, faceless Arab uh, for no particular yeah. reason. You know, you do have to sort of wonder about that, and it does offer itself up to various interpretations, including that yeah. Camus was very blind to a lot of things, including the evils of Zionism, among other things. Uh, but he was certainly a brilliant guy, and he died too young. Yeah, well, that's it's a really fascinating subject about Camus and the stranger. There is a book uh, written by uh, a Muslim writer in which he reverses the scenario. Um, if, yeah, if, just if, Somebody just randomly shoots a Jew. And nobody cares. <laughs> the author doesn't care either. Uh, yeah, can you well, imagine I, that? Yeah, I I forget the, the title of the book and so, but I I don't think 
uh, Kimu was uh, in, enthralled by uh, um, the Zionist. Uh, you know, let, let's, let, let's do a Camus show down the line because we, we hear the bumper music now, so we, we can't do it tonight. He deserves a lot more than than yeah, 15 yeah, more yeah, seconds over the bumper music. Well, thank you. Uh, that, that was a really good conversation. Ed Curtin, I appreciate your wonderful new article, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to Heal the Great Divide. It's uh, it's inspiring, just like RFK Jr.'s candidacy and his work is inspiring. So, hey, keep it up, and I'm sure we'll touch base, bases pretty soon. Okay, bye-bye. Kurt and Kevin Barrett here, back in the next hour with Alan Sobroski. Stick around.